This is the last Sunday of 2020, and I want you to take a minute and think all the way back to New Year's Day 2020. Think about that. Where were you? How did you feel? Look, if you were like me, I'm sure you felt pretty optimistic like we all do at the beginning of every new year, right? We always say where we say those sweeping declarations. This is my new year. This is my year, right? And I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. This is going to be the year that I'm going to accomplish this, become that, do this, learn that, right? We always do that at the beginning of a new year. That's why we do those New Year's resolutions, right? And we get so excited. Right? And the thing about 2020, which was unique, though, is not just the beginning of the new year, it was the beginning of a new decade, right? And so you had very optimistic people talking about how this is going to be the roaring 20s 2.0, and how some would even talk about how 2020 is going to be the year of 2020 vision for your life. And what's funny is that back in January, even in March, all the way to February, March, no one had the 2020 vision to see 2020 coming. No one did, because look, if I did, you know, I know I wouldn't have been the only one, all right? Because if I saw this coming, trust me, I would have sold all my stuff, invested in Zoom before it got big, and I would have converted my garage into a small business, right? Pumping out hand sanitizers and masks, right? And so creating a supply before the demand got serious. That's what I would have done. I know I'm not the only one. I know that's what you would have done. But you know what? Thinking of all of that, I think the, I wonder, this is me talking out loud. I wonder if the 2020 vision that God wanted to give us, let's say if he wanted to give us 2020 vision, was not so much maybe about God's purpose for our life, but I know for me personally, I've received 2020 vision, or at least a clearer vision of what is real and what is not. Think about that. 2020, this has been the year that, man, a lot of things have been exposed You have seen things for this is real, this is not. This is essential, this is non-essential, right? When everything was taken away, when everything was like, all right, the whole world is on pause, you and I, we've all came to an understanding and agreement. It was like, whoa, here are things that are, this this is what I really need in my life. There were things that were taken away. I was like, you know what? I guess I didn't really need that. This was essential, this was not. And I believe, see, that 2020 vision of the truth, Telling the difference between lies and the truth is, is so important. That is something that as we go not only into the next year, 2021, but every year after that, we need that. We need to be able to see that because here's the thing. Without that true understanding, without 2020 vision of the truth, you're going to feel like how you and I felt this year. Right when, when you didn't know what was happening. It seemed like every month this year, something new was going down, right? Every month it was this, and then the next month it was that. Look, am I the only one that's still wondering where all the murder hornets went? I mean, I remember somebody talked about those. Did we capture them, or did, or did we fumigate them? You know, was they, were they real or not? I don't know, right? This year was crazy. It, was, it felt hard to just keep up with everything. And I know I'm not the only one that actually wondered, man, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? When this happened, that happened. Right when we, you know, maybe your income changed like ours did. It was like, what are we going to do now? You maybe had to get creative because you needed to know how can I still connect with family and friends, right? And you had to get creative. I know we did. It was a lot. And I, I'm not going to lie. I spent a good chunk of this year from time to time wondering what am I going to do now? And even as going far as like, yo, are we even going to make it through? 
You know, is our church going to make it through? Is my family going to make it through? Are our families going to make it through? Is, is our nation going to get through all of this? This was a heavy year. This was a crazy year. And if you think about it, okay, when it comes to this year, this year was no different than any other year. Because the reality, the truth is, is that you and I are not in control of our lives. Things happen that we don't see coming. But there is a kind of vision that we need. There's something that we do need to know in order to face the unknown. Because, see, this is true, and I know you would agree with me, that tomorrow is a fog. Tomorrow is a fog. We can't see. I can't see through it. You can't see through it. Right? Tomorrow is a fog. That's why we all live by faith today. Yeah, you heard me. Everybody lives by faith today because tomorrow is a fog. Regardless of what you know, and listen, when I say faith, I'm not just talking about faith in God or faith in Jesus or nothing like that. Listen, there's atheists out there. You got faith too. There's some of you that maybe you don't believe in God, but you live by faith too. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You hope. It seems, right? You can kind of guesstimate, but the truth is we can't see. We can't see those things. Tomorrow is a fog. That's why we all live by faith today. And here's the thing. You have real faith. We all do. But real faith in a fake source, real faith in a fake source is going to lead you to loss. You're going to miss out. And you might make it, you know, here or there, but in the end, real faith in a fake source is going to lead you to loss. But real faith in a true source, will lead you to life. And we're going to look at a Bible story today that helps us talk about that so we can see and be able to gain the correct 2020 vision, to be able to tell the difference between fake and real, true and false. So I'm going to read Numbers chapter 13, verses 25, all the way through 33. At the end of 40 days, they, being 12 spies from 12 tribes of Israel, returned from scouting out the land, which was the promised land that God had given Moses, you know, told about Moses and the people of Israel. The men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land and where you sent us. And indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. Literally, it just means that it's a fertile land. This is really good property here. Some good real estate. That's pretty much that phrase is. And look, here's some of the fruit. Here's some of its fruit. They wanted to show the people as proof. But however, the, the spies continued on. However, the people living in the land, they said, are strong. And the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and, all, and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, No, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him, 10 out of the 12, Caleb was one of them. Ten, the, the men that went up with Caleb said, no, 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 we can't. We can't attack those people because they are stronger than we are. So they, being those 10 spies, they gave a negative report. Some translations say evil report, false report. 
they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. And here's what they would say. The land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all of the people that we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak coming from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers. And we must have seemed the same to them. Check out the story. This is a crazy story. See, at this moment in history, what happened was that the people of Israel sent 12 spies, one leader from every tribe of Judah, which were one tribe of Israel, which were 12 of them. They sent out 12 spies to go scout out the promised land. Not too long ago, when you read the book of Exodus, you see there God led the people in an exodus away from Egypt into where the situation right now. So God had delivered his people who were slaves to Egypt. He goes in, sets them free. And the whole, the remaining book of Exodus and the other book, Leviticus, is God dealing with these people, helping them. He brings them all the way to Mount Sinai where he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the whole point of the Ten Commandments and receiving the law was because God was trying to show a freed people how to live free. That's what that was. And they came all the way down now to this moment, the border of the promised land. This is where we catch up in numbers. And the thing is, is that if you would have read earlier in this chapter, in this book, it said God commissioned Moses and said, go send 12 spies out, one leader from every tribe. But if you read the next book, the book of Deuteronomy, because the whole book of Numbers actually captures and documents all 40 years that Israel was in the desert 40 years between them leaving Egypt and finally conquering the promised land. You're going to know why it was 40 years in a minute. He goes and they do all of that. And in Deuteronomy, which is the next book, is here are the people in the same spot years later, ready to enter the promised land. It's a new generation. And Moses tells them this story. He retells this story. And he says, guys, I want you to remember, it was your parents who sent, it was their idea, who sent the 12 spies out into the land. It wasn't God's idea. It was yours. And it seemed like a good idea to me. And I brought it to God. And God said, you know what? That's what they want. Then, all right, commission spies to go. Now, why is that detail so important? Here's why. Because God had already given the people in the book of Numbers, he had already given the people a scouting report. He had already told them, here's what you have. And it is a land that I've promised that is a land flowing of milk and honey. It's good. And I'm going to hand it over. I'm, you are going to conquer it. I'm going to give it to you. You can trust in me. Well, the fact that those, the Israelites said, well, hold on, God. I don't think we trust you. We want to see for ourselves. The people sending out those spies was pretty much telling God, I don't trust you yet. I mean, I think we just kind of met, maybe to a certain extent. I don't know. We want to take a look for ourselves. That was already a warning sign that it's not a surprise, everything that happened next. Because the problem was that those 12 spies came back. 10 out of the 12. The other two were Caleb, which you heard of, and Joshua, which is later mentioned. 10 out of the 12 brought a negative report, an evil report. And what was that report? Well, first off, the first time they just said, yeah, God, guys, uh, God was telling the truth. 
He was telling the truth. This is a land flowing of milk and honey. And look, did you notice they brought evidence? They brought all kinds of fruit and things to show them. Guys, look at this. Have you ever tasted a mango like this? Look at this. You got to taste this, guys. This is really good. In fact, in a previous chapter, we see that while the spies were there, they saw a gigantic, enormous set of grapes, a cluster of grapes that they had never seen in their lifetime. They didn't know grapes could grow like that. And they actually tore that down, brought it on a branch and said, listen, this is just too good for people. I mean, people need to see it to believe it. They're not going to believe us if we describe it. So come on, we got to bring that too. And they brought all of these things to say, guys, look, God was telling the truth. Oh, but hold on though. Apparently God was holding out information. God didn't tell us that not only was this place flowing with milk and honey, but it was filled with some sketch scenarios here. God didn't tell us this part. He was holding out on us. That's interesting, right? Have you ever had somebody pretty much that said, look, we got good news and bad news. If somebody asked you and said, look, I got good news, I got bad news, which one you want first? Normally, I want the bad news first, right? I was like, look, just tell me the bad news, get it over with, and then let's end on a positive. What can we do, right? It's, it's kind of the other way is weird. Well, here this is, guys, good news. Check it out. This is a land flowing to hook milk and honey, but bad news. Bad news, yo, there's some bad, there's some bad people out there. And, and the fact that they did it in that order shows that these 10 tribes, these 10 leaders, Wanted the people to reconsider, guys, I don't think God's going to pull this off. I mean, these were, some, these were some big guys. I don't think God can, we can't handle this, and I don't think God's going to, can help us do this. You know what the irony is about that thinking process? These same people who were telling the people of Israel, I don't think God can do this, guys, so I don't think we should go. These are the same people who saw God single-handedly Take down and destroy the most, you know, the biggest, most powerful empire in the known world at the time. Egypt, their slave masters. Egypt was the big bully on the block. And God took care of them like if it was nothing. I mean, it wasn't even like an NFL team taking on a middle school JV team. I mean, it was bad and easy. God did it. And so think about that. I'm like, if God handled the most powerful empire in the world... Couldn't he handle a couple of city-states here and there? Of course he could. But for some reason, they did not have this trust in God yet. And what's even crazier is one of the people that was mentioned, the Amalekites, the people of Israel already had a scuffle with them prior to this, and God gave them victory. So no one could have said, hold on, yeah, one of those guys, yeah, we beat them already. God gave us victory over them. So what makes them any different than all the others? They weren't thinking like they were not. Here's where the problem was. The 10 spies got the people not to compare the obstacle in front of them to God. They were comparing the enemy, the problem, the situation to themselves. That's why they said they're stronger than we are, which was true. But that's where Caleb comes in, and Caleb does something a little different. But see, this is, and what's even more exaggerated is Caleb, you know, tries to encourage the people. But then they say, no, 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 no. Caleb's saying, guys, we can do it. We can do it. God can help us. But he's like, no, we can't, guys. No, we can't. They're too big. And then this is where the author, in this point, which many believe could be Moses, he says, they brought an evil report, a negative report. You know what that actual Hebrew word means? A false report. Whatever they said prior was true, but now everything that they finished saying here was actually an exaggerated lie. 
You've been with those, right? You, you, you saw that one person that went out fishing. You heard they went fishing, right? And they came, yo, I caught one, bro. It was like this big. It was really that big, right? And they kind of exaggerate or, or it's the opposite. You, you know people that, you know, they tend to overplay the scenario. Well, that's what these 10 spies did. They now started over-exaggerating the land that we were passing through. It devours the inhabitants. Well, how did you make it through then? If it devours the inhabitants and you inhabited the land for about 40 years, 40 days, you made it okay. And if the land devours its inhabitants, how are all these people alive? Don't, don't worry about it. You know, the land devours its inhabitants. And look, we even saw the Nephilim there, right? The Nephilim were considered to be this ancient tribe of giants. Now, were there big people there? Mm-hmm. There was. Were there Nephilim there like that? I don't know. Because these guys were over, they were exaggerating everything. In essence, the author was saying they were lying. They lied to the people in order to lead them not into the promised land, but to instead to reject God's promise. Now, Caleb didn't do that. If you heard Caleb's story, Caleb did not contradict the content of the original report. Did you catch that? He didn't contradict the content. He just was contradicting their conclusion. He was like, yep, it's a land flowing of milk and honey. Yep. It's full of some people that, mm-hmm, I don't know, it, it looks a little bit, but you know what? No, no sweat. We can surely go. Let us go. That's what he says. He goes, you know, um, let me read it. It says, let us indeed go up, and we will possess it, for we are certainly capable of it. But see, Caleb's we was a little different than the ten spies we. The ten spies we was just them. Like, oh, they're too stronger. They're stronger than us. True. But when Caleb was saying, no, 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 guys, we can do this. We can do this. We can possess it. He was speaking in faith. We can possess it as God has promised. And we are certainly capable of possessing it by God's power. See, Caleb had faith in God. Caleb was trusting that, yep, that same God that handled the Amalekites earlier and the Egyptians. Oh, yeah, these guys are chumps compared to that. God can do it. God can do it again and he can help us. But you know what? It was a little too little too late. The 10 spies then go in and they spread this negative report throughout all the people. The people believe they put their faith in a false report. They had their faith in a false, fake source. Remember I told you at the beginning, true faith in a fake source can lead to loss. That's what happened to them. God then judged them and says, you know what? Because you didn't believe in me, because you didn't believe that I can do it. Now I have to do something in you. And the entire nation of Israel, you guys are going to have to wander now the desert for the next 40 years until each and every one of you die. And until the next generation, a new generation comes up believing in me and believing in my promises. Well, at this point, the people were kind of freaking out. They're like, at first they were sorry. Well, not at first. Later they were sorry. They repented. But right before that, you know what they wanted to do? If you keep reading, it says they wanted to take Moses, Caleb, Joshua, and Aaron. They were going to kill them. And they wanted to look for a new leader to say, guys, uh, we need a new leader to take us back to Egypt. Back to slavery. Why? Because retreating back to what is known, what you know, Sometimes for some, they think that's better than dealing with the unknown. How many times have you and I done that? I've done that. I'm sure you've done that too. How many times instead of, you know, you're facing the unknown and it's a difficult circumstance, right? Or you're not sure, am I going to make it? Am I this? And, and what do we do? How many of us ever retreat back into old patterns? Old, uh, that relationship that's a problematic relationship and you always seem to double back to that same dude. But why do you do that? Because... 
I'd rather be comfortable in something that I know, even though I know he's going to mistreat me, even though it's not great. I'd rather be comfortable in something that I know than having to deal with the unknown. Will I ever find anyone? Will I die alone? How many times we've ever gone back to an old habit, an old addiction, an old way of thinking because we didn't know how to process what was in front of us. We didn't know how to move forward. And so we settled for what was comfortable. That's what the people were doing. But instead, God pretty much told them, nope, guys, if not my will, which my will is to give you the promised land, if not my will, then yours be done. The people had faith that this land was going to devour them. And so you know what? That was really the fear. They had faith. And that faith was real fear that they were going to die in their conquest. Well, their fear became their fate. And what happened was is that God, now the desert, the wilderness, devoured each and every one of them. Whatever they were afraid of happening to them actually happened to them. Their fear became their fate. And see, here, here's the thing. God had to do that. Because even though they were repented, God, all right, we're sorry. I'm sorry. Can we go? All right, we're ready now. And he said, nope, 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 nope. See, here's the thing, guys. If, if, you, were, if you were about to bail on me now before the battle began, oh, you guys, you're not going to make it. I have to do this. And he sends them to wander for 40 years. Why? Because this. See, God not only was interested in getting the people out of Egypt, he also wanted to get Egypt out of the people. He wanted to get Egypt out of the people. That slave mentality that they had to determine and to rely on, you know, humans and humanity for their substance. No, he said, you guys got to learn to trust in me as your king. He wanted to get Egypt out of the people. And guys, listen, God is no different today. God is not only interested in saving you from the grip and the grasp of hell, but he wants to make sure not only can he save you, but he wants to make sure to remove every lingering effect of sin and death in your life. He wants to get hell out of you. All right. He wants to get all those things out of you. And the, the way we do that is by putting our trust and confidence in him, learning to let our fears, our worries, our concerns die as we walk with God so that we can begin to know him and put our trust and confidence in him. And you know what was amazing? If you read the rest of the book of Numbers, you know something incredible that we see? We see a faithful God lovingly caring for unfaithful people. That's amazing. The rest of the story from here till Deuteronomy and all the way into Joshua when they conquered the land. For the 40 years, we saw God be faithful to a faithless people. He could have been, oh, Okay, you want to go back to be a slave? Be my guest. Okay, he could have said that. And I'm like, who wants to stay? Okay, you? Yeah, we're going to start over just with you. That's all I need. The rest of y'all, y'all can, here's the door, right? He could. He totally could have done that. And he says, no, I don't want you. I'm not going to let you go back into slavery. Instead, we're going to walk, we're going to walk together over these next 40 years. We're going to walk together in the wilderness. And you know what God did to a faithless people? He remained faithful. He protected them for those 40 years. He provided for them safety, food. He provided for them for those 40 years. He cared about people who could have cared less about him. God remained faithful during those times. And he proved himself to that new generation that rose up. He says, I'm going to prove myself to be trustworthy worthy and he did and so when we look at all of this story guys this is important for us 
Because we are at the border of leaving one year, entering into another. And we got to consider this because, see, when we look back at the story, we should look back at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When he says everything that happened in the Old Testament to the people of Israel was written for our good. God was trying to do something in them and through them. And we can look back at those and those can be life lessons for us because God wants to do the same thing in us and through us. He doesn't just want to save us. He wants to be able to save us from something and save us for something. And so we can look at those examples. We can look at this example right here and learn that the only way we can obtain the promises of God is by faith. And if we don't have faith, In God, instead, if we have faith in a false source, it's going to lead to loss. We're going to spend so much time wandering this world, wandering, finding, looking for light, and not having it. And some of us, some of you could even die in your sins. But instead, God wants us to learn how to have that 2020 vision to tell the difference between what is true, what is not, who is God, and who he's not, so that we can learn to trust in him. Because here's the thing, here is the bottom line for today. We can look at this whole story, and this story really teaches us one thing. And this is great for us moving forward in the next year. It's this, that faith in the promises of a faithful God empowers us to face the problems in this world. Okay, think about that. Faith in the promises of a faithful God empowers us to face our problems that are in this world. That's what this story shows us, and that's why we need to have the same thing. If we want to be able to face the problems in this world, we got to have faith, not just faith in faith, faith in a faithful God. And that's what you and I need to do every single day, and especially today, have faith in a faithful God. I'm not telling you just to believe like hope. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of have faith that my team is going to, you know, you know, make the championship this year. I have faith that, no, 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 that's you hoping. That's not faith. Faith, according to the Bible, according to God, is an assurance. It is a sense of confidence. It is not just faith in the random and faith in what you don't know. No, it is faith based on what you know, what you've encountered. And that's why Caleb had this kind of courage. If you want that kind of, if you want, you know, courage like Caleb, you got to have faith in a faithful God because that's what he had. The courage that he had, he wasn't special. He just had faith in a faithful God. He believed. He believed and said, listen, if God handled them, he can handle this. If he handled that big thing in the past, he can handle this in front of me in the present, in the future. He can do that. You know what's amazing about Caleb is that those 40 years that everybody was wandering in the wilderness, guess who else had to wander? Caleb and Joshua. The only two people that believed in God out of everybody. There was only two. And in fact, God said, Caleb and Joshua are going to be the only ones who are going to enter into the promised land. But until then, we got 40 years. I got to do something. How would you feel if you were Caleb? Right? Having to wander. I was like, these guys. I'm here, here eating dirt and, you know, in the sun, in the heat. I was there, man. I'm, I'm dreaming about those sweet little delicious mangoes that I, I had tasted that one time. And I got to wait 40 years for you guys. I mean, I know we've been in scenarios where maybe you were with a bunch of friends or maybe you were in school or you have siblings and stuff and one person does something dumb and everybody has to pay for it, right? This is the opposite. Everybody did something foolish and even the good ones had to go through. But you know what? That wasn't a punishment for Caleb. Caleb didn't take that as a punishment. In fact, 40 years of wandering in the desert, 40 years of wandering in the desert, Caleb's faith in God never wavered. In fact, Caleb 
Saul, 40 years of God's faithfulness. In fact, by the end of that 40 years, when now Caleb is an 80-year-old man, the book of Joshua tells us, 80-year-old man, he says, you know what? I feel just as good as when I was 40. I feel just as strong when I was here back. Remember, Joshua, you and I, when we did that? Yeah, we, you know, we got some gray hairs and stuff, but bro, I'm feeling just as good as when I was 40. Why? Because God gave him that strength. And not only that, because he had faith in a faithful God. After 40 years, he's like, I've been waiting for this day. He didn't care. You know what? The problem was still there. Those giants mm, were still there. All of the issues that they left 40 years ago were still there. What changed? Nothing. God didn't change, and his faith in that faithful God didn't change. And so Caleb enters in, and he actually says, you know what? I want that hill over there. Yep, I know that hill has the biggest bullies in this whole block, right? Those are the biggest guys. That's the, this is the most you know, impossible task. I want that hill. And he charged up. An 80-year-old man led a charge up that hill, and God gave him victory. He empowered him to face the problem in front of him, and he conquered that by grace through faith. And that was his inheritance for his family because he had faith in a faithful God. Well, listen, before I tell you to be like Caleb, you got to understand, you know, we're not perfect. Neither was Caleb. But there was someone greater than Caleb, and that was Jesus. See, Jesus didn't charge up a hill. See, Jesus slowly marched up a hill, carrying our cross, because you and I have sinned against God. You and I did not have and have not had perfect faith in a faithful God. You and I, like the people of Israel who lacked faith in God, who sinned against the Lord and died in their sins in the desert, you and I deserve to die in our sins. Yet God, Jesus, proved himself to be faithful to a faithless people. By carrying our cross up a hill called Calvary. And on that hill, he died and received our punishment. He received our punishment for our faults and our mistakes and for everything that has ever. He received the punishment of God that we deserve on himself. And not only did he die. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And just like Caleb, who went up a hill and conquered those giants, guess what? Jesus marched up a hill, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and defeated the biggest giants that exist, the giant of sin and death. He defeated those two giants. And because Jesus defeated those two giants, all of the other giants that you and I, all the other big problems that we have, guess what? They are nothing but grasshoppers compared to those giants. And if Jesus handled those giants, the giants of sin and death and hell, then he can handle anything in front of us, anything in front of us. And then that's what we need to have is not faith in faith. No, faith in Christ, faith in Jesus so no matter what mountain, no matter what obstacle, no matter what giant is in front of us, we know and have that confidence and courage to know that my God is faithful. And if he can do that, there is nothing impossible that he can't do. Listen, you got, you, we all have giants in front of us. If you watch the news, you, you might have heard of some. There's some giants out there like, how are we going to compete? How are we going to live in a world with these giants? These giants like big business and big tech, right? Silencing voices in here and there. Big government. Those are some giants, big giants, that they are stronger than us, but not compared to our giant God, not compared to our great God. Those giants are nothing but grasshoppers compared 
to him. And then all the other giants that we have, man, you, some of you have giants of fear, insecurities, anxiety, worry, greed, loneliness, depression. There's so many of those. You know what? If Jesus can handle the giants of sin and death, your confidence in Christ, he can empower you to face the problems in this world and to slay those giants. God will slay those giants and help you, help you to be able to live through and empower you to face those giants and overcome them in Jesus' name. And that happens. How do you do that? Having faith in a faithful God. Because faith in, the prom- faith in the promises of a faithful God will empower you to face the problems in this world. That's important. And if we have that, guys, we have that. That is all that we need. We need that 2020 vision of who Jesus is. Because the ultimate promise is not a raise. The ultimate promise of God is not health and wealth in this world. No, we are called to live for a better world. And the promises that we have are in Christ Jesus, and they are better than anything you can imagine. In fact, I got one last verse that I want to read to you. Check, look at what Hebrews 11 says. The author of Hebrews in the New Testament, writing to a Christian church, really writing to some Hebrews that kind of knew these stories. Look what he tells them. 11 verse 6, he says, now without faith, it is impossible. Key phrase right there. Without faith, it's impossible to do what? It's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Look at that. Look at how important it is that faith is not just faith in faith. Faith is in the confidence and a conviction that is rooted in the character of God. He says without faith, it is impossible to do what? To please God. And How can you live a life that pleases God? Wouldn't you know that, right? You want to know, how can I live a life that pleases God? Well, by faith. That's it. And what is faith? Here he says it. You have to believe that God exists and two, that he rewards those who seek him. In essence, you got to believe God is real and you got to believe that God is really good. That's it. Your faith is rooted not in you. It's not about having big faith, okay? It's not about that. It doesn't matter if you got big faith or not. What matters is, is the object of your faith big enough? And the object of our faith should and only be Jesus Christ. Faith in a faithful God. That's it. Knowing that he is really real. Jesus really died on the cross for us. Really lived really rose from the dead. And because of that, that's the biggest difference maker right there, having that faith. Because without faith in that, it's impossible to do anything to please him. So let me tell you, if you've never put your faith and confidence in Jesus, let me tell you, without faith, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to save yourself. That's what happened to the the people. They did not have faith in God. Instead, they have faith in something false, not in something true and real. And I don't want, and God does not want you to wander in your own wilderness looking for life, looking for and rejecting God the entire time who's offering you the very life that you are looking for. He doesn't want you to die in your sins. Instead, that's why Jesus died for your sins, so that you wouldn't have to die in your sins, but instead find life. And all you need to do is just believe. Because again, without faith, it's impossible to live a life that pleases God. You can't. But when you put faith and you live and you believe and you have faith in a faithful God, that is actually what pleases him, to have faith in him. To know that, listen, I can't do this alone. God, I'm not perfect. 
I'm not perfect. I have made my mistakes, but Lord, I believe that you're real. And I believe that you reward those who seek you. And you know what he wants to reward you with? A promise. The promised eternal life that comes in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, his promises are true because he is faithful. What are those promises? What we read in the, in the New Testament, we read here, it says, all those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. That God will never turn away a bro- someone with a broken heart. He won't do that. And the ultimate promise that we see in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, there's his character, that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him won't die but have eternal life. That's a promise. And if you put your faith in a faithful God, he's going to fill you with the life that you've been looking for. And now for those of you, if you have put your trust and confidence in Jesus, that's great. But you got to look at this story as a warning for you as well. Because, listen, that, that negative report led a lot of people into a wilderness. And God does not want you. Now that you've been saved, he doesn't want you to slip back into your old ways. God, if you've, God has saved you, he doesn't want you to slip back in your old ways. He wants you to lead you into life so you can enjoy and press in to the promises of God so that you can extend and be an agent of change in this world so that through you, others can experience the promised Messiah, the promised Savior, and, and receive the promise of eternal life by God. By you know, All of that's what he wants. And so for us to be able to have the courage that Caleb had, we need to have faith in a faithful God. We got to know the truth. You got to dive in and dedicate yourself to know who God is and know, explore the scripture so you know who he is. So when someone says and brings a negative report, an evil report, a false report against God, against his nature and character, you can have the courage like Caleb did, not just to face the mountains, but to face his own brothers and sisters and say, listen, lovingly, I disagree. That's wrong. You are wrong. That is not who God is. Let me show you who God is. That's the courage that we need to have. We need to be able to courage and encourage each other. Have courage and encourage each other. And that's what that means. You know what encourage means? It's to bring, give, to put courage in you. That's what Caleb was trying to do. And God, when God puts courage in you because of what Jesus, because Christ conquered our our giants for us, that should put courage in us to be able to face the problems in this world so that we could also encourage one another. When one of our brothers and sisters in the faith are losing their way or wanting to slip back and go forward, we can encourage them to press forward and say, no, 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 put faith, put your faith in a faithful God who has not and will not abandon you. That is the only way faith in a faithful God is the only way you and I can defeat the giant that exists in this world, which is a giant lie that stands against the knowledge of who God is. And we do that. Why? Not to prove ourselves right. No. So that others can receive the promise of Jesus Christ. That is why we do those things. And so we saw in Hebrews, it says, right, without faith, it's impossible. Well, the opposite is true. With faith, by faith, in a faithful God, all things are possible for God. Where without faith, it's impossible, yep, but faith in Christ, with that, all things are possible for God. There is no giant that he can't slay, no problem that he can't help you overcome, no storm that he can't let you not only through, but calm in Jesus' name. There is nothing that he can't do, but the one thing you have to do Put your faith in Christ. And as we're leaving, you know, we we talked a lot about this, right? This year, 
How many of us have ever found ourselves, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do. I don't even know if I'm going to make it through. Well, now you know what to do next time. Whatever happens, we don't know what 2020 is going to bring. 2021, we have no clue what 2021 is going to bring. Tomorrow is a fog. And so as we're leaving 2020 and putting that behind us and approaching the new year, 2021, let us renew our faith in the one and only Jesus Christ. That is not only something that we can do, it is the one thing that we should do. Why? We put our faith in and renew our faith in the one and only Jesus Christ, knowing knowing that you and I, we can face the unknown because you and I have put our trust and confidence in a God that we have come to know. And his promises are faithful and true because our God is faithful and he truly loves me and you.